0: In 2004, Matt Hoover was overweight. He watched the first ever season of the big hit show, The Biggest Loser, from his couch, with a bag of chips on his gut and a beer in his hand. At the time, he weighed 339 pounds. During an interview, Matt says he made fun of season one contestants who cried on the scale. He made fun of them for being sensitive for caving to the pressure. But when he became a contestant on season two, he cried more than anyone. Matt cried like a baby. His words, not ours. Matt Hoover worked hard and he showed determination and grit. As an ex-wrestler who had won two state championships, Matt knew what struggle was. He knew how to put in the time and the reps. And by the end of season two, Matt stepped on the final scale at 182 pounds, winning the title of The Biggest Loser and the grand prize of a quarter of a million dollars. Even sweeter, Matt met and married a fellow contestant, Susie Preston, who he fell in love with on the show. And together, the two hit the talk show circuit to celebrate their new bodies and their new love. Today... Matt weighs 237 pounds, and he's distanced himself from the talk show circuit. Susie weighs 175 pounds, and says she's continuing her weight loss journey. These are two contestants who had every incentive in life to keep the weight off, yet they just couldn't manage it. But we're not here to turn our backs on Matt and Susie for failing in their weight loss goals. In fact, on the Re-Engineered You, we're going to do the opposite. We are here to find answers. You're listening to The Reengineered You. This is a podcast about self-empowerment and all the myths, lies, and misconceptions we tell ourselves. Then we use science and history to bust those myths and re-engineer a better you. I'm your host, Todd Laments, the
1: extrovert. And I'm the writer, researcher, and introvert, Joe Anthony, whose job it is to get through the outer layer of no DAW on the internet and get to the juicy facts.
0: So what can we learn from Susie and Matt Hoover? Today we're looking at a study that came out after our power couple won their season. In fact, the study we're looking at comes from Season 8 and the National Institute of Health. And we're hoping to answer some of your biggest questions in weight loss and dispel a few bloated myths about weight loss that we just can't seem to shed. Myth 1. Weight loss is just a simple equation. Burn more calories than you put into your body. Simple, right? So what's the big fat deal, America? Myth 2. If fat people won't get into shape for their own sake, then it's perfectly okay to call them out for their eating habits, right? Myth three, after you've died the weight off, the rest is just maintaining a steady calorie intake, correct? So when Matt and Susie gained their weight back, it just proved they didn't have the willpower in the first place. At least these are the misconceptions our 90-pound grandparents shame us with during Thanksgiving dinner, and we are going to bust them. But First, I'd like to tell Joe about the time I had a close encounter with one of the Biggest Losers and how it got us thinking about weight loss.
1: So when we started looking for narratives for um, our weight loss episode, um, we kind of had a blank spot. And then Todd was telling me Biggest Loser. He mentioned that he had some connection to the Biggest Loser. And um, I'm sorry to admit this, but uh, I don't watch that show. Um, so, Todd, how did we land on this? Why did you force me into looking up Biggest Loser statistics? Well, I I
0: never missed an episode of the show. It's, it's nine seasons, but I know all the trainers' names. I've read their books. I'm very involved in it. But I used to work out in a gym in South Seattle, and I'm walking on the treadmill one day, and I look to my left, and I see this heavy set athletic gentleman and i recognized him right off like a friend or a professional athlete or someone famous and i almost like but like i should go over and talk to him i'm like you don't know this guy and if he's i thought he was either an ex-football player or a defensive lineman or a ufc fighter he had kind of the cauliflower ears look real tough
1: so mentally something clicked you you recognize him from somewhere
0: and the reason was was he won the biggest loser his name is matt hoover and that's oh, wow. where he lives.
1: Yeah. So this was not like a celebrity gym or something you had attended? You weren't expecting this?
0: This was just the $25 $25 McDonald's gym, L.A. Fitness. Okay. (laughs) And the reason I didn't go and talk and say hi, one thing, I I respect his privacy, but he had gained a lot of weight back, and he looked at me, and I think he kind of saw that in his eyes because he sees fans of the show all the time.
1: Oh, you must.
0: Yeah. Okay. And they must probably say something like, oh, you've gained weight or, you know. Right. And just make them feel like garbage. But you don't know what to say because you know you're both thinking it.
1: Yeah. Right. Yeah. For, I guess for most celebrities it's, oh, I recognize you from this one thing. But if the one thing you're recognized for is accomplishing something that you no longer hold, that's, that's got to be kind of crushing. So of the reality shows to watch, what, what in particular about Biggest Loser strikes you? What, what do you like about this?
0: First thing is I love all things self-help. I love biographies about rags to riches. I'm a huge gym rat. And they really do a good job of building the tension on this show with the weigh-ins at the end. And someone's going to be sent home. And we talked about this offline, but weight loss is something that we want for everybody. Right. We're never jealous of that. We're just happy for them.
1: Yeah, it's it's one of the very few things where if somebody accomplishes it, even if it's somebody you dislike or hate or or love, or it doesn't matter how you feel about somebody, if you see somebody accomplish that, you cheer.
0: The real beauty to me of this show is their confidence spike. And then you see these shows, and it's not uncommon in the show for people to lose over 100 pounds, 200 pounds. A whole person they lose in weight. right. So you just can think, well, what could I do in my life if I used that kind of willpower, got in the right environment?
1: Right. They're doing, apparently, like what we'll get to in our subject today, in our, our research, the toughest thing you can do, basically.
0: You see these contestants come in, Joe, and they are below zero. They're broken people. And you see their confidence rise, and it's really a beautiful thing. Um, you see their very unhealthy relationship with food change to healthy. And it's 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 a lot of fun to watch.
1: Oh, That's awesome. Well, that's that's our subject today. Then we're we're going to get into The Biggest Loser, something I have never seen, something you have seen a lot, and we're going to break down the the science that came out of the show.
0: Now, another thing on this show is, is the people are very vulnerable. They get up on scales and strip down to swimsuits, which has got to be hard when you're morbidly obese to be that vulnerable and show yourself not just to you, your partner or the doctor, but to the whole world.
1: Yeah, shockingly vulnerable. If, if I'm on the scale, it's it's just you know me in front of a mirror. I can't imagine having all of America looking at me.
0: I think you would like to show, and there's some really good science. In. One of the things that I think you would resonate with you is they have this test they do on this show where they take a 40-year-old and they do their blood work and do ch- ch- check them all the way out. And then the doctor gives them, because of their overeating, because of their unhealthy lifestyle, what their true age is, not their birth date. And it isn't uncommon for people who are obese that are 42, but on the inside, they're really 65.
1: Wow, so that's they're, they're looking at like their, their blood panel, their lipids, their, their cholesterol, things like that.
0: And from large masses of fat can push your organs around, so it's very bad for your, for your overall health. Okay. And a, a very wise friend of mine said to me once, and he said, you don't see any 300-pound 80-year-olds, do you?
1: Right. <laughs> it's a pretty good point.
0: Now, Joe, you've had uh, some weight loss. Tell me about your, your, your story.
1: Sure. Um, it it's mostly been the last uh, year and a half. Um, I was I won't say exactly how much. I've I've lost about eighty pounds so far. And Holy moly! Yeah, pretty much all of it was just um, uh, I, I drank a lot of beer and um, of course I, I ate badly. Um, but in the the past year and a half or so, I've I've we're going to get into the science, so I'm not going to like talk too much about that, but. Yeah, I, I have done uh, um, a little bit of weight loss, but I went really slowly. That's something I'm going to stress throughout this episode is um, I did not diet, quote unquote. Um, and you've kept it off. Yeah, that is, that is the big part is, is I wasn't in a rush. I wasn't trying to impress anybody. It was I did it really slowly with my doctors giving me a lot of advice, and um, I did it that way because uh, I wanted to have a permanent change. And it it just comes down to altering your environment more than it comes down to dieting for yourself.
0: Well, let's rewind there. What sparked the, I have to do something. Was it a doctor? Was it a personal issue?
1: Oh, it was a personal issue. It was a doctor. Um, I I had a a health complication. Uh, It it was, I won't get into specifics, but it was blood pressure. It it was, my blood pressure spiked up and and it, it had a lot of complications with it you're talking about biggest losers and then checking on them you know their their panels and seeing how old they really are uh, I, I'm 35 and I'm betting my panels came back a little older than that <laughs> at least. <laughs> Well,
0: I've had my own heart issues, and Joe and I, and I'm 10 years older than him, but we we talk about cardiologists like a couple of 90-year-olds.
1: Right, yeah. <laughs> if anyone wants to know what we sound like off the air, it's like old men playing chess in the park. That's how we talk. It's it's like, how's your blood pressure yeah, today? The, like, we,
0: the weather at our hearts. That's yeah, our exactly.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's that's our discussion. So, so we're going to get a little bit uh, deeper than that today, hopefully.
0: But then on the serious side, though, when your own mortality comes into question, it wakes you up.
1: Yeah. Suddenly, you're motivated. Suddenly, it's not just, oh, I'll, I'll think about that tomorrow. So um, you've done some weight loss, too, haven't you? I had a,
0: at your age, I got divorced, and I was 50 pounds overweight, and I was very depressed. And when you get divorced, you don't just lose what you have. you got to, like, pay for a few years to get back to zero. Oh, okay. And I just wanted to get in shape to get a new partner and I, to be more competitive in the dating game. Right. So what I did was I went to to, to Chipotle ate there three times a day. I would get two margaritas and their chicken salads, so that's <laughs> <laughs> and I work out like a psycho, which which gave me shin splints, bad knees, hurt my back, hurt my. I did all wrong. Okay. The diet was wrong. The exercise was wrong, but my will was strong. So well,
1: that's what counts, right? And I lost
0: fifty pounds.
1: Oh, congratulations! And okay, I
0: kept it off also.
1: And something we learned from the rejection episode is is the um, online eighty percent of women are competing for the top twenty percent of men. So I bet you really had to put in time at the gym to <laughs> get into that twenty. Get the sexy bodies, 20%. Right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so. Uh, we're going to get into the, the science of it. We've teased that enough. Um, so we're going to talk about why the American Journal of Public Health declared that obesity is incurable. Um, and, and I really want to start with a, um, a, a little bit of a, a, a caveat or a warning here for our episode a lot of this is going to sound like we're saying weight loss permanently is is hopeless that real significant change is maybe not difficult Uh, i mean like some of this study makes it sound like it's darn near impossible but we're going to start by disabusing that Uh, we're going to say that we're going to throw some statistics at you that sound a little scary that may lower your resolve Um, but keep in mind by the end of this episode we're going to tell you how to make significant change um, so, so stick in with that. Don't, don't just feel bad as we get to the science because we're, we're, there's going to be a light at the end of the tunnel.
0: There is. And think about the people that, you know, the majority, vast majority who've lo- had significant weight loss gains over hundred pounds have probably all put it back on.
1: Yes. And, and part of that isn't because of lack of will. It's not because they were broken as people. It's because as a culture, we don't look at this in the correct way. We're we're angled wrong. We we skew toward um, blaming the people and not how we uh, associate weight loss, how we how we look at it, how we look at you know the the process of it. Um, so we're gonna definitely get into that. But there's there is absolutely hope. And you have to get educated to win. That perfect the perfect way to say that you have to be educated and self aware. And I hate to say that that's the end message of every single episode we have. <laughs> um, but, but yes, the, the answer is education and, and self-awareness. So, Todd, um, the statistics we're pulling from come from the American Journal of Public Health. Uh, what would you guess is the percentage of people um, who, once they become obese, come back to a healthy weight? So lose the weight to healthy
0: and then go back
1: to obese? other Other direction, They, just, they, they just just people who become obese and then die back down, who eventually lose the obese weight. Uh, what do you think the percentage of that is?: Forty percent? So Yeah, I, I would think it's, it's about that high. I mean, like I would have guessed one in three when I first started this research. Um, I figured it was, I mean, I've met people who have lost weight after being obese, so I thought it must have been higher. Um, But again, again, from the the American Journal of Public Health, um, it's closer to about uh, um, the people who fail to return to a healthy weight and maintain it. The failure rate is about 98.3% in men and 97.8% in women.
0: So 2%
1: come back down. Yes, less uh, less than 2% in men, uh, about 2% in women. So 98 out of 100 stay obese for the eternity of their life. Yes, once they hit obese, um, they have dips that come back into healthier weights from time to time, but they basically are are cemented into that weight. And we're absolutely going to cover why that is. But I just wanted to point out, um, this is why, uh, according to the American Journal, um, obesity is now classified as incurable. Um, and that's something that um, we may have talked about too. Uh, there, there's a, a very famous guy for, who advertised for Subway, uh, Jared. He was their spokesmodel. We're not gonna get into his horrible crimes or, or the jail time he's doing right now. I just wanna focus on one very small point. Um, Jared is a man who once he lost the weight the only thing he had to do in life to basically be a paid spokesman, to, to live a rich, wealthy life.
0: Like a million dollars a year. Yeah. yeah.
1: The only thing he had to do in life was keep that weight off, and he couldn't. And he got
0: attention from everybody cheering him around, the yes. whole world.
1: Absolutely. The world was on his side. Um, so people who think that you can go obese and then come back, that you can diet back down to a healthy weight, there are people that we're looking at today in this in this episode in the study, that the only incentive they have in life, the, 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 the one thing they have to do to be successful in life and live, you know, uh, not extravagant, but, but comfortable lives is to keep the weight off and they can't do it. So this is the study we're looking at. So uh, this is, uh, I'm going to quote The Lancet here uh, because they covered this as well. Um, of people who use crack cocaine, 10 to 20% become addicted. Whereas people who become obese, as we mentioned, 98.3% of men and 97.8% of women fail to return to a healthy weight. This from the Lancet, quote, Once obesity is established, body weight seems to become biologically stamped and defended. Therefore, the more recommendation to avoid calorically dense foods might be no more effective for the typical patient seeking weight reduction then would be a recommendation to avoid sharp objects for someone bleeding profusely. So once you're there, once you've got that stamped into you, once you've reached obesity, telling someone who's obese to avoid bad food, it, it's already over. You're, you're telling them to avoid something that has already changed their physiology pretty much permanently. So, the reason for this, uh, it, we're going to I, I, every show in the first section, I feel like we do the same thing. We're going to go to ancient man. We're going to, we're going to look at, you know, primitive man and why we're built this way. Um, if you can imagine yourself being starved and you're in, in you know, uh, prehistory, um, once you start starvation, you, your, your body has this mechanism um, and it, it might come down to epigenetics. We haven't done an episode on epigenetics yet, um, but our genes are, are built to, uh, pretty much overcome anything that if, if, there's no food available to us in a part of the world we get trapped in, um, th- then our, our bodies will start adapting to that.
0: Clever and resourceful animals we are.
1: Yes, we are. Like we're, we're, able to basically adapt to almost any, I mean, there are humans living in Arizona, <laughs> <laughs> if a place where, you know, you need air conditioning to go anywhere. <laughs> um, so if you lose weight from, from being obese and you do it quickly, most people do it quickly within a year, um, their body perceives it's being starved. Um, this was the case for um, a biggest loser from season eight named Danny Cahill. Now, now this is not the same biggest loser we started the episode with. We're gonna come back to um, uh, your, your man, the, the, the fellow you, you met at, or saw at the gym. Um, the reason we're focusing briefly on Danny Cahill is the New York Times did a follow-up study for season eight contestants. Um, and of the season eight contestants, uh, basically they, they, they looked at season eight and they said, why haven't we studied these obese people who've lost weight yet? This is a perfect opportunity for science to figure out how obesity works. Um, one of the biggest losers on season eight that they studied, this from the New York Times, uh, was a man named Danny Cahill. At the end of the season, uh, he won. He won the big prize. He was uh, weighed in at one ninety one, down from four thirty. So, so he lost uh, about two hundred sixty pounds. He he lost the most of any Biggest Loser in Biggest Loser history.
0: Like a twin brother.
1: Right. Yeah. He 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 basically lost another him. That's awesome. I mean yeah the work and the the amount of willpower that must have taken. I haven't watched the season, but but it's an incredible amount. Um, now he's back up to two ninety five um he's he's back to being very large and he's restricted to eating a diet uh, eight hundred calories less than a normal human male. Now, I want to put that into perspective. So when we talk about the human uh, the the body's ability to adapt to new environments, um Danny Cahill eats one thousand seven hundred calories just to maintain his weight. A normally human man eats two thousand five hundred so so remove uh 800 calories from your diet that's a that's that's a meal and some change if you're eating healthy that's so much more if you're if you're trying to diet i mean that's that's piles of vegetables and and all kinds of good stuff you can't eat for that day um and that's his maintenance weight. That's, that's already
0: a low-calorie diet too. That's not an average American diet by any stretch.
1: Right? Yeah. Yeah. seventeen hundred calories is nothing. I mean, I mean, if you go to like we're, we're talking American uh, uh, diets, go eat a single burger at a really nice <laughs> burger joint with fries on the side. That's about the same. That that's it's going could, to could come in at about 1,500
0: yeah, calories all, all day.
1: <laughs> yeah, all day. That's the only thing you get to eat. And, and, and people out there are going to be thinking, oh, yeah, well, I could survive off of one burger a day if I just had a lot of willpower, if I, you know, if I had to. We're not talking had to. We're, we're talking this is his life now, and, and he has to space that out. Um, and, and permanent. Permanent, permanent, permanent. That's, that's something I absolutely can't stress enough. 13 out of 14 season eight contestants regain their weight and they went through this similar change. They all had their metabolism adjust permanently. We're on 6 years after the study started. So this isn't something where they dieted down from being obese and then their metabolism eventually bounced back to normal. All of these contestants, they now have a metabolism that takes in, you know, 300 or so calories less. They just don't need it anymore. They're they're like, like a, they have a bear's hibernating metabolism. They, they, they're not even the same type of human as we are anymore with the amount of calories they don't need. Another contestant, uh, Sean Alger, who was from the same season, um, he went back up to 450 calo- er, pounds after the show. And he said, after he realized how fewer calories he burns per day, uh, he said, quote, It's kind of like hearing you have a life sentence. He now burns 460 fewer calories per day. So fewer calories per day. uh, When I first read this, at first I was shocked. I was like, oh, oh my God, that means that's a lot less food per day that you can't have. And then I I almost spun it like a bright side. Like I always try to play both sides. So um, say for instance, you, Todd, if I told you your body needs 500 less calories a day than a normal man and will forever, can you can you see a bright side to that?
0: Not really. I, feel, I'm not, I'm, I like food. I like you food. like food, right?
1: <laughs> yeah. My my brain because I, I I have to try to find the positive. I started thinking, well, cool. I'm a survivalist. <laughs> like like now I can survive off almost nothing. My food budget will be lower. There you go. I get that. Yeah yeah. So like like a, that's that's five hundred less stretch, calories. But I'll I have give to you buy. that one. Yeah. So. <laughs> Even that bright side uh, gets completely vanquished by this next section that I'm going to cover. So we're going to talk hormones now. So poor Danny Cahill eats 800 less calories a day just to maintain. Like he's gaining weight. He's eating 800 less calories a day. He's slowly gaining weight. So at, at, a, at a crash diet amount of food, his weight is still creeping back. Um, now here's the kicker. Your metabolism will permanently change if you diet as fast as the Biggest Loser's Diet. However, uh, permanent low leptin levels after the show alter their hormones as well. So uh, uh, leptin is a hormone that's released from fat cells. Uh, what this hormone does is it tells your brain when you have enough energy stored up in your fat. Um, so like, like your, your body fat, like whatever your fat content is right now, um, if you have a lot of fat stored up, uh, leptin will signal the brain and say, we're good. We don't need any anymore. We're, we're, we're you know, not just full. It's a, it's a, it's a more of like a low level background hormone that tells your body, we have enough for the winter we're, we're, we've got enough fat. Um, when you gain weight, you, you, basically gain fat cells. You create cells that never leave because when you diet, those fat cells don't disappear. Like you don't quote unquote burn fat, that's stupid. What it actually does is it shrinks these cells down. So you create fat cells by getting fat and then they stay there and continue signaling your brain after you lose weight because they've shrunk down and now they're hungry. Now they think you don't have enough fat to last the winter. And so when you're dieting and they shrink, they still signal for that hunger. And they took uh, people from uh, season eight and they checked their leptin levels and they found out that um, those clusters of hormones, uh, they're still signaling and they're signaling throughout the show that they are starving, that they're, they're dying of starvation. Um, they return to about half of what they once were once they reach a healthy level and once they sort of quote-unquote normalize after the show so like they went home they spent years trying to get their metabolism back their metabolism never returned to normal their leptin levels only came up to about half which means they're still starving their bodies interpret this as dying well
0: and the the fat cells shrinking not going away i had a friend who was in hollywood and he said most of the lipo is done by the men all the men who have these six-pack stomachs, they get lipo because of what you just said. It oh, doesn't yeah. go away. So they yeah. have to take those out of their body.
1: I, I had somebody, um, while I was doing research, um, I talked to uh, friends of family and family members who are heavy. Uh, and one of them is about to go get surgery uh, uh, to, to get excess skin and fat cells removed. And she asked, she's like, won't this take care of it? Won't, won't removing the fat cells help? And I, I said, yes, yes. But the problem that I found in these studies uh, is that a lot of the signaling cells are actually organ fat. So you can't really remove that. No. <laughs> so that, that's, that's um, yet another dark spot on this study that I'm, I'm revealing. Is,
0: They're mixed with the good stuff, the stuff we need.
1: Yeah, yeah. The, the awareness comes with a, a dose of there's a lot of bad news here. So I'm going to quote now from uh, Dr. Joseph Proido from the University of Melbourne. What was surprising was a coordinated effect it is, uh, Proido said. The body puts multiple mechanisms in place to get you back to your weight. The only way to maintain weight loss is to be hungry all the time. We desperately need agents that will suppress hunger and that are safe with long-term use.
0: Your hormones think they're saving us.
1: Your hormones think they're saving us. Um, and it's not just leptin. There's about four or five hormones that I could read about. Um, I, I didn't get into the, the other ones. I, I really focused on leptin because the articles do. That's the one most of them look at. But, yes, just imagine that throughout your day, different hormones signal different types of hunger. And instead of having them signal different types of hunger at other times, they just all go off at once every time you open up a, a bit of food.
0: How devastating is this for the 400-year-old who's... Sitting next to the 150-year-old. Uh, pound. Yeah,
1: 150
0: yeah. pounds. 400 pounds, 150 pounds. Right, right. And that person's eating five times as much as them. They're literally starving themselves. They're gaining weight. And this yes. person on the other side is losing weight. it would uh, to be maddening.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I'm only using myself anecdotally. I am not a science experiment. But just from my own personal life, I knew going into my own weight loss that I was going to offset myself permanently, calorically. And my offset is only about a hundred or two hundred calories right now. So at my weight, um, I knew this was going to happen. I'm like a year and a half in, and my roommates they eat so much more than I do in a sitting, and and they're all very fit and and you know they're they're smaller. So uh, yeah, this is this is the new you permanently, basically. And um, some of these contestants, when they talk about the kind of hunger, what that does to you when you have multiple hormones go off at once telling you to eat, um, they talk about there's no such thing as cheating for them. Uh, one of them said that when they open up a bag of food or something, it, it's it, the word blackout and starvation, they're just words. Until you have literally every hormone in your body that's capable of feeling hunger going off at the same time, we're, we're built to starve for periods. That's what fasting is. And, and our bodies. We're,
0: we're supposed to be hungry at times.
1: Right. Yeah. We're, we're built to be hungry from time to time. That does not, in words, cover what these people go through. Um, so, knowing that you only need 1,700 calories a day just to maintain your fat weight, that's. That's not a living situation. That's a curse. That's, that's a level in, you know Dante's Inferno. The 14th century Italians would have looked at this research and said, you're going too far with the torture here. So having said that, um, I want to get back a little bit to, to Matt's struggle if you if you would. Um, tell us how he went through this loss if, if you don't mind. Um, well, well, Matt,
0: I resonated with him right away because I did jiu-jitsu for some years, and he's a Division One Iowa wrestler. So that is a primo program. So he's a. when I said I saw him on the treadmill and he moves like a world-class athlete, world-class athletes have kind of a bounce. No matter how heavy they are or how old they are, they have a way of moving that shows they're athletic, kind of like a dancer's. They always right. have that dancer's grace. Um, seeing him on the show resonated with me because he was from Seattle. He cried the whole time. They always cry in the beginning when the, the diet really kicks in because they miss food. They miss that relationship, that comfort. It's like it's like a divorce. It's like a drug addict or alcoholic going without their drug.
1: So it's like a loss.
0: Oh, huge, yeah. He really started coming out of his skin. He was um, more vocal. He talked about his his problems with, with drinking. Um, and I knew what really... Why he resonated with me a lot was because wrestlers at Division One level have been working and exercising their whole lives, and they have to control their weight to make weight to wrestle to be successful, get to win tournaments, to win state, to go to college get scholarships. So I know he it wasn't because he was lazy.
1: Okay, so when when most people fail to lose weight, we we fully blame willpower. I mean, almost, almost like categorically, our, our go-to as a society is say they lack willpower. So this guy has proven time and again he has it. He has willpower.
0: Yeah, and then you see there was another one. There's an NFL quarterback on there called Scott Mitchell, and I remember him, and he was a six foot five trim um, cannon for an arm quarterback. So you see these guys, and you, and you feel bad. You're Like, well, how did they let themselves go? And of course, they show the pictures of them with a six pack in college and. So that makes it even harder. You're like, this is not who that person is. We want them to turn back to the old self, the successful, younger, healthier self.
1: Right, and we'll hold it against them if they can't turn it back.
0: Uncomfortable for me about seeing them, and I, you know me, I'm an extrovert. I go talk to anybody. I have mm. no, and I wanted to tell him what a big fan I was, how impressed I was by him. But inside, you felt like you should ask, what happened? Are you okay? You gain the way back.
1: Right. And and you realizing that that's probably going through his head, too, whenever he sees the recognition from a fan.
0: That our stars lit up at our eyes, yeah. So that's right. got to hurt him every single time.
1: Absolutely. He's
0: reminded in the mirror. He's, he lives it every second of every day. So,
1: Right. And it would be nice culturally if we could just sort of accept when somebody fails and that they've changed their life and that it, it swung back and that they did everything they could. But I don't think we can. Like, as a society, I really wonder about that.
0: Happily ever after.
1: Yeah. And if you don't get happily ever after, we will blame you. Like, you, you <laughs> yeah, remind you us that wrong. we can't do yeah, it Yeah, like, I'm
0: perfect, right? Like, I, I haven't regressed in things, too. <laughs> right. Just every area of my life's regressed. If you, I just wasn't on TV talking about
1: it. Yeah, all my regressions happen in the dark where I can hide it. But the poor guy's in the spotlight. Well, this is, this is really just a, a perfect setup for our next, next section because we're, we're going to talk about fat shaming. This is a, a huge part of our culture. I mean, like much more than I gave it credit for before getting into the research. So um, we want to talk about what fat shaming actually does and why it doesn't really help. So, have you seen the show? Uh, it's always sunny in Philadelphia. Yeah,
0: it's a hilarious show. Inappropriate, always.
1: Oh right, uh, there's a there's a actor on there that um, famously lost a lot of weight. Um, uh, Rob McMill- uh, McElhany. I didn't know that. There's early season of him, and he's got like this crazy big beer gut and a beard, and he he. he I think intentionally, well, not intentionally, but the show is like plays up how much he looks like a slob. And then uh, some part in the, the show, he lost a ton of weight and got in crazy good shape. I mean, there's all these pictures online of him being, like, ripped and cut and looking uh, amazing. Um, but somebody, like, he, there's all these, like, uh, Twitter accounts where where people lose weight and they get in really good shape. And they, they say, oh, it's just diet and exercise. If I can do it, anyone can do it. Uh, this guy, because, I mean, he's a cut up and he's hilarious. Um, I want to read you his tweet real quick. Um, so this is from uh, Rob uh, um Twitter account. And he says, Look, it's not that hard. All you need to do is lift weights six days a week, stop drinking alcohol, don't eat anything after 7 p.m., don't eat any carbs or sugars at all. In fact, don't eat anything you like. Get a personal trainer like Magic Mike, sleep nine hours a night, run three miles a day, have a studio pay for the whole thing over six to seven month span. I don't know why anyone's not doing this. It's super realistic lifestyle and an appropriate body image to compare yourself to.
0: <laughs> hashtag truth.
1: Right. Hashtag truth. Yeah. I, I, when I saw that, um, I mean, I, I saw that a, a couple of years ago and I was just like, that's, that's a perfect, that, that is really like, he's, he's making a joke, but that really is how we look at it. Like, like, um, America. Um, there was, there was a period of time where um, Michelle Obama had a, a uh, campaign going. She started a campaign to uh, limit the advertising of fast foods. And it was to sort of uh, – to, to get them to stop advertising to kids and, and to get you know, people to – she was take, tackling obesity. Like she was trying to solve obesity. Um, and supposedly, uh, um, uh, fast food chain started paying into their campaign coffers. And her message switched very quickly from uh, you know, food and food limiting and advertising limiting. And it's 180. It, it switched to exercise, focus on exercise. <laughs> and I remember uh, reading a, a um, researcher come out publicly and he was like, yeah, do you know you would have to bicycle seven hours a day to get rid of, like, a McDonald's a McDonald's meal and, like, a two-liter of Coke or something like that? So our focus, um, uh, we're talking fat shaming for this section and how it works and what it really does to somebody. Um, really, when you look at it, you're not going to win by exercising your way out of, uh, out of obesity. It really comes down to um, uh, diet control, Environment and long term planning. And like we said before, self awareness. Um, Todd, you said you, you basically worked out like a, a crazy person and gave yourself injuries, right?
0: But I had a, at the time, I had an income that allowed me a lot of massages, right kind of food. I had a lot, and that's what we talked about a lot about the biggest losers. You're in an environment that's not real life realistic. They quite literally strand them on a
1: ranch with
0: trainers. And they do, and have the best doctors in the world um someone unless you were lebron james or you know a professional athlete tom brady could afford that
1: right um my weight loss is nothing compared to these biggest losers and and still i have i'm living in an affluent area i've got doctors i mentioned up top that i was i was seeing doctors uh i've got uh, no dependents. I'll, I'll state that i I, don't, I my income is my own resource so um the, the, so we're going to go through these real quick. We're going to go down the, the factors for obesity, which statistically mean you're you're more likely to be obese if you have these things in your life. Um, so before we start shaming people, we're first going to look at what has to go right for you to consider meaningful weight loss over a long time. So factors for obesity include poverty. Why poverty? Why, why is poverty something that might make you obese? Um.
0: Healthier food costs five times as much. Go to Whole Foods. Bingo.
1: Besides it's, Walmart.
0: <laughs> yeah. Look at the people at Walmart and then Whole Foods.
1: Right. Um, we're, we're living at a very strange time in human history, where the most calorically dense foods are the cheapest. That's never happened before. In the in the, I, I watched a YouTube video once where it was showing um, serfs like like medieval serfs, the the peasants. Their diets were like uh, whole grains and fish. Because nope.
0: I wonder they're fit, right?
1: Right, exactly. So so we're living at an unprecedented time where the most calorically dense food is a dollar from McDonald's. And the the best food for you that is low calorie and fibrous is, is expensive. It's, it's Whole Foods. Another one is uh, healthcare access. So we're just talking doctors, insurance. We're, we're, we're broadcasting in the middle of a COVID epidemic where... So many people are lacking health insurance. Um, so that is definitely going to be a factor in obesity because, first, uh, you need regular checkups. Like, while you're losing weight, literally you can't change your physiology without risking. So it's it's you need checkups. Uh, education. Why do you think education might be a factor in obesity?
0: Um, just people setting a good example of what a healthy diet is. From, from right. The, I guess I think education more from the family.
1: I, I think you're right. I think it's it's family and diet. Um, it it Okay, so for instance, almonds naturally have an appetite suppressant in them. So does coffee. I didn't know that until I started reading about it. And your average hard-studying, book-learning kid isn't going to know that even if they study all day for other things. You really have to have a nutritionist or, or a lot of time to look things things up. Um, so generally educated populations will have more exposure to the information they need to continue losing weight. Uh, I remember um, uh, when I was younger, uh, my, my grandmother told me that Chinese food is healthy for you because it's, it comes from an older culture that knows a lot. And then when I grew up, it's like, no, it's not. It's, it's Sweet sour pork sweet, is sour like the pork. unhealthy yeah, it's, it's thing in the world. High-calorie <laughs> chicken with, with glazes and, and fried. Yeah, fried food is healthy, right, Grandma? Yeah, it's um, but food. But it's nothing against her. She, she um, Checking off this list, poverty, health education, about half of these things she did not have access to. Um, so now we get to a couple that we can't really control. Genetics and hormones. We already talked about that. Um, Some people, I know there's a large amount of people online who hate fat people. We're going to get into those folks specifically pretty soon. Um, And they say that genetics is a poor excuse for being overweight. We're not talking when somebody says I'm genetically, you know, like I'm, I'm big boned or I'm predisposed to being fat. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about you have a set of hormones that signal you to eat more often and in larger amounts. Whether that came from uh, you eating improperly early in your age or because you have a hormone imbalance that tells you to eat more regularly. Um, so we're not going with the, the uh, I was born obese or, or big bone. We're, we actually are talking real science here. We're talking hormones. And then, of course, chronic illness. There are a whole host of chronic illnesses that will make you uh, not burn as many calories in a day. Not, not process
0: food like other people do. Yeah,
1: you don't process food properly. You, 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 you retain weight. Um, so when we talk about losing weight, it's less of a question of, did you do the one thing right that we told you to do, fatty? It, it's, it's, you don't listen to people who say, just don't eat the bad foods. It's more about you have to have everything go right for you. All, all five of those subjects we just mentioned, you have to have those in your pocket already. Or like that tweet said, you have to have the time, the money, the availability, the diet, and the training, and all that has to click for you to lose weight. So that's, that's a privileged position. So fat hate is a real thing. Uh, have you ever been onto fat shaming websites? Never, no. Okay, Don't. I just see
0: the backlash when people attack someone that's been fat shamed, a celebrity or something.
1: Yeah. Um, I, I pulled most of these facts. Uh, the, the above facts, the the ones about um, uh, risks for obesity, that came from Healthline.com. dot um, we're going U of M health for uh, for our fat shaming. Uh, and and some of our facts online just come from Reddit because if you spend more than twenty minutes online, it's very, very easy to find fat hate groups. There are whole YouTube channels devoted toward fat hate. They don't soften that either. they don't they don't say that their channel is called you know, uh, uh, fat productivity or, or weight loss or something. They really literally call these sections fat hate.
0: That's sad. What kind of human being could feel good about themselves setting something like that up?
1: So I'm um, I, I, I so glad you answered the, asked that question because I, I had to have the same thought. Like who would spend time hating fat people online? And they say it's because they're trying to shame fat people into weight loss. That if we shame them enough, they'll realize that they're in error and that so they haven't they think they're put it to the work. They're helping yeah, people. they're helping people. Um, but, well, one, we, we know that just isn't the case. Just uh, being cruel. It's, it's cruelty. And, and it's also, um, it increases uh, risks of suicide, risks of depression, and it also increases the risk that they will overeat. So for one thing, fat hate does not help anybody um, but I'm going to quote uh, this guy is not an expert, he's not a doctor Jason Pargin, uh, a guy that writes for crack.com, he wrote books like uh, John Dies in the End um, so he's a uh, New York Times bestseller so he's, he's a fun fiction author, um, but something I, I love, uh, I heard him in a, a talk once, he said that hate is pretty easy um, people that start hate groups or join hate groups or, or fall into them, um, they're doing it because uh, if you are hating somebody of another race or if you're hating fat people and you're yourself not fat, then all you have to do is wake up in the morning and you've already accomplished something. As long as, you know, if I'm a skinny guy, if I wake up, then I already have accomplished something by not being fat, so I can feel free to get online and congratulate myself and hate another group of people. And we had another episode. Pretty um, pathetic, right? It is. There's also something called outrage addiction, um where where it feels good wired has a great article about this it it feels good and it actually hits you know uh, dopamine and a couple other hormones to feel outraged but to feel morally outraged if you're in the moral right it feels really good to to be mad at somebody Um, so that's really what what fat hatred is doing people feel morally justified because they think they're helping you in some way and they feel good about doing it because it, it means that they did something right in their life by not being fat. So if we think of it that way, that, that we're, again, we, we started this epos, episode saying we were going to look at what happened with Matt and Susie, and and we were going to figure out why in a, a more scientific, more open-minded way. Um, so. Tell us about when things were going great for Matt, because it, it feels to me like where we are at so far, he's gone on The Biggest Loser. He lost the weight. He cried a lot, which I enjoy that. I think that's I think that's, I think it's good that he was emotionally in touch. Uh, where was his peak?
0: Well, let's recap here with Matt. So he not only did he win the show, he's on national TV. He looks like a supermodel. The guy's slimmed down. He looks great. He meets the woman of his life. He's getting married and he gets (laughs) $250,000. So that's
1: that's like the end of the karate kid. Like here's, here's the love of your life. Here's a trophy. Here's some money.
0: (laughs) So now he's on tour with her. Um, they're going around, they're promoting the show. They're promoting themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, he proposes to her in New York city on a daytime talk show in, um, Right down in Manhattan, everyone's cheering on the streets. She of course says yes. Um, doing some study research for the show, I looked at a lot of interviews with Susie, and she had something funny. they're getting married, they're planning the wedding. She is very insecure about the excess skin, to the point that she says this. I found this very interesting. She was more insecure with this extra skin than she ever was being so obese.
1: Oh. So, what, um, to to clarify, what's the extra skin come from?
0: From all, so much weight loss that's been covered around those extra pounds. Now that that's gone, the skin just sags. So, it's not very flattering. And it will hang underneath the arm and in her stomach and stuff. So, there's a lot of scarring and stretch marks from just losing that much weight that fast.
1: Okay. D- does that skin, that doesn't like absorb back in or something? No, it doesn't. It
0: has to be surgically removed. Oh wow! So they took her through. I watched a couple of her, of her interviews, and she goes to the pre um, the physician for the surgery. It was a ten hour surgery, and they removed eight pounds of skin.
1: Oh wow! So this was just human leather, basically. Yeah.
0: So and she was traumatized the whole time. She's like, "Why am I doing this?" She was screaming, crying before she went in for surgery. I just thought the thing was. She was more insecure after the weight loss than she was right. before. Because we've studied that on some of our other um, episodes.
1: Right. That's wild.
0: She's had the surgery. She looks amazing. You see her in this white wedding dress. And something I thought was really strange. They have the video for the wedding and I'm watching that. They brought to their own uh, their own wedding two card- uh, cardboard cutouts of when they were twice as heavy as they are now and they held him up on stage while they were getting married and I, huh. I just i'm thinking when does the publicity stop and we just enjoy the wedding
1: right uh, this is going to be crude but do you think those cardboard cutouts were watching during the wedding night
0: <laughs> you're being creepy <laughs> it's
1: like well i mean yeah, like watching your past selves watching <laughs> exactly. you during the wedding during the meal I, during
0: I, it's just like if it, it, we get it guys we get it yeah you're skinny.
1: Uh, it's good for them. <laughs> That's all I'll say. Like, whatever they want to do, if, even if As it gets strange. If they, if they brought their own fat in jars <laughs> and put them up on the <laughs> wedding table instead of a cake, whatever. Do what you want at that point.
0: <laughs> they look great. They're having a great
1: time. Exactly. Good for them. So now we kind of want to get into practical parts. We, we, we started this podcast saying that we are going to get into how do you do weight loss in a meaningful way.
0: What works?
1: What works? Um, so two things that um, uh, came up during these uh, articles: uh, rearranging your life, basically structure, um, and retraining your taste buds. Uh, we're talking like eating times and schedules, intermittent fasting, um, recognizing that you won't be you won't have a normal human metabolism anymore if you lose weight too quick, too much, um, and that that's a choice people are going to have to make like you you really are going to have to decide how fast you want weight loss versus how much you want to alter your metabolism permanently and just for a few little anecdotes i want to i want to share um that metabolism resting burn rate is is really the key to this when we say that um uh, these contestants uh, their resting burn rate lowered their, their metabolism, they don't require as many calories in a day. That all comes down to resting burn rate. That's the absolute key to this. Now, things you do in your life can change your resting burn rate naturally. We're gonna cover a few of these. Something Todd sent to me uh, when we started this. Uh, he sent me an article about how chess champions can burn up to 6,000 calories a day while playing in tournaments. And historically, they lose between 10 and 20 pounds during a championship.
0: That's just thinking. That's not playing basketball or football or running a marathon.
1: Right. Those chess chairs, they don't have like cycle, like like they don't have spin class <laughs> while they're playing chess. Yeah. They, they are sitting there thinking as hard as a human can think. Um, and, and I put this one in here to make myself feel better. Uh, writers during fierce concentration burn an extra 60 to 100 calories per hour during intense focus. And I got to say, I was hoping it was going to be a lot higher. Like, when I read the chess thing, I'm like, oh, man, how much do writers burn? And then I, I looked it up, and it wasn't that big. That's but still not bad. It's, it's, still, it's still more than just watching TV. Um, Aaron Egbert. Uh, so we, we talk about season eight, uh, the biggest loser who, uh, of, of all of them, like 14 out of 15 or 15 out of 16, gained the weight back. Um, one contestant kept the weight off. Like, And that's over several seasons. So that's even skewed by, by she's the only one in, in multiple seasons that kept the weight off. Uh, when asked how she did it, um, she said she didn't change uh, – um, uh, she, she burns 550 fewer calories per day than somebody of her size. So she didn't get off scot-free. She, she didn't beat the system somehow. What she does is she is a full-time caregiver for her ailing mother. Uh, and she says she struggles. That, that It is really a struggle. It's still for her. She talks about um, how if she starts eating uh, a treat, it will become three or four treats because those hormones kick in. They, they tell her she's dying. And so she eats. Um, so she does environment control. She, she said that you know she, she is caring for her mother. So she has strict control over what happens around her. Um, resting burn rate we've talked about is key Uh, 65 to 80 percent of the calories burned are at metabolic base so i'm gonna i'm gonna say that again 65 to 80 percent of the calories you burn are that resting rate the the bulk of your daily calories burned are when you are just idling like a car Uh, only about 10 to 30 percent is burned during exercise so it isn't
0: when you're walking on the stairmaster at the gym or this. A good majority of it is you're steady during the day.
1: That's your steady rate, yeah. So, Todd, when you were um, when you were going to the gym real heavy, how many hours a day were you going? Hour and a half. Hour and a half. And it, it probably felt like you were burning a lot more than 30% of your day in that, or 10 to 30, right? Absolutely.
0: The sweat was flying. It says how many calories you burned and right. no pain, no gain, and...
1: Yeah, it, it feels like 95% of your calories burned are during sweat and, and during heavy work.
0: And you think that you're burning off all that stuff, that crap you weight, You do.
1: I used to eat, I, when I was going to the gym, I would be on um, a, a treadmill or something, and it would show the calorie burn. And I'd nudge my friends and be like, "I just ran a burger away." <laughs> um, but it really is closer to. I mean, I mean, even if, even if you're peaking out, if you're really burning heavy and you're going multiple hours a day, you're still only really getting up to about thirty percent of your burn rate at a very high amount. But for most people, it's it's eighty percent of your calories are are burned at metabolic base. Um, resting burn rate. And that's why, um, it's, that's why all of these biggest losers who gain the weight back, it's their resting rate that changed. And that's, that's the curse part we've talked about. So we also talked briefly about appetite suppressing foods. So um, again, I'm going to ask you, Todd, uh, what did you change in your environment and, and in your sort of like self-control, like your, your immediate environment? How did you lose and keep the weight off?
0: I, I did a really practical approach by hanging out with people that I wanted to look like who were my age and my size. Okay. A similar type. And so I would eat what they ate. I would hang around with them. I'd work. I, I made them my workout partners. I've made that my social circle. So that's how I created that. I didn't know I was doing it, but that's what I did.
1: Oh, okay. So not only did your environment change, your social environment changed. You're, you're not sitting with people who are going to eat a giant nacho platter. You're, you're hanging out with people who are going to not look at you weird when they eat carrots for a snack.
0: And at 50 pounds, I lost that in probably a little too fast, probably six months. And one day I was at the gym in this... Uh, one of the sales counselors who sells memberships there, he said, oh, hi, Mr. Laments. And I, I didn't understand how he, how he knew my name and how he pronounced it perfect. Mm-hmm. And I go, how do you know who I am? And he goes, "Oh, everyone knows who you are. And I said, that's weird. And so I pressed him a little more. I go, what are you talking about? He goes, well, when we sign people up for new memberships, we show them a picture when you signed up here when you were heavier, and then we point you out in the gym. <laughs> And I was surprised. I was part of their sales process. Like, hey, if you work out here, you're going to lose. You can look look like this. (laughs) Uh, Not like him, but a letter U.
1: Yeah. I. I, I don't know why I imagine this, but I was just like, I would love it if they pointed you out while you were like laughing or goofing up or like, like or just like, you know, doing something that would, that would embarrass the gym is that's what I would do. I, I, every time they pointed at me, I would be like cursing at a water dispenser or something <laughs> hitting a, a vending machine.
0: So I was of course
1: flattered. Absolutely. That, that's awesome. Um, so environmental changes are, are very important um, investigate your food. That's a, I can't stress that enough. For me personally, that made the biggest changes for me. Education.
0: Self-education.
1: Yes. Um, turn every label around. Look at everything you eat and then look up online to see if there are better versions of it. Um, I mean, literally for everything. Like like the basis, smallest, granular thing you can find in your kitchen. Find out if there's a better version of it. Um, uh, Natural appetite suppressants are good. Almonds, water, yogurt, avocados, eggs, spices, legumes. Um, Just look for things that have uh, more fibrous versions of them And, and reach out to that education. We cannot, there's no podcast that will have enough time to just name everything you should be eating. Just get used to being a food investigator, I think is the best way to do it. And finally, there's no shame in looking into uh, surgery. If you can't keep the weight off, um, there is, we're going to talk about their success rate really quick here, Um, but bariatric surgery is uh, the one that people turn to the most. Um, Actually, uh, uh, Todd was telling me about a a more rudimentary surgery. Uh, What what were you talking about? Well, in the 80s, it was not
0: an uncommon surgery. And I know two people in my life um, that would have their jaw wired shut. For months, and all you could do is drink liquids through a straw. Eighties, yeah. So you couldn't talk. I mean, you're rah, 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 rah. it's barbaric. And people oh. used to do it because that's how they couldn't. They just couldn't do. They couldn't be disciplined. They couldn't take the temptation.
1: Okay, wait. i I've, I've sounded shocked when you first told me this. I thought you were talking about like the 1700s or something. Like <laughs> no, it was no, like ancient no, no. history. <laughs> With okay, the hair so pads are out, yeah. Did the jaw wiring work? I mean, did they did they keep it off?
0: They look great and then they
1: gain it back.
0: Once, okay. it's, once it's unwired. But I just can't you can you imagine people going to that now?
1: Uh well I, I was I was about to say no, but then I was like, well if if I hadn't educated myself or, or started looking into things, yeah, I I I could totally see getting desperate enough. It would hurt, but yeah. <laughs> um
0: whatever it takes.
1: Yeah. And that's 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 what we're saying is is um, if for health reasons uh, you you don't have the environment control if you've tried over and over to lose weight it didn't work um, if educating yourself didn't work I really do believe education and self awareness works um, but there's no shame in looking into uh, bariatric surgery uh, it so far uh, seems to have the best success rate that I could find success um, uh, according to the University of Iowa. Their success rate is defined as uh, 50% or more loss of excess body weight maintained for five or more years. Um, Most studies uh, show that the success rates for bariatric surgery are pretty good within the first two to five years. So your first two to five years, you lose about 50% of your body weight or up to. Um, This gets uh, less successful over time. Uh, Again, like with most weight loss, um, it's temporary unless you have really good environment control and really good discipline and education. Um, After about 12 years, this drops down to about a 70% failure or, quote, recidivism rate. Um, But documentation also gets murky after 12 years because you have people who stop responding to um, surveys. And when people feel ashamed about their weight, if they've regained the weight, they don't want to fill out a survey saying they failed. So they're again studies even for something like a surgery. We should have data on that kind of stuff, and and it does really sort of get muddied and skewed. Um, but the the definitions for success get blurry as well. So really, when you start looking into surgery, you're going to have to define your own success you're going to have to look at what would work for you what would be an acceptable risk for failure and what an acceptable amount of loss is and and decide for yourself ultimately
0: well joe i gotta ask you you've lost 80 pounds mm-hmm. how do you feel different
1: um you mentioned the the age of somebody on the inside that their their organs and their the weight they carry how to adjust them. Uh, I feel like as I've lost weight and gotten smarter about exercise and smarter about sleep, uh, you, you're hearing me say a lot of things about my environment and lifestyle, not so much about weight loss and calorie control. It's because that's been the biggest factor is environment and life control. Um, and, and it feels like I've been moving back in time. Like, like Physically, it feels like Uh, I, I have, I mean like everybody, when you interview somebody about weight loss, they say energy. That's not the word for it. The word for it is really just your, your, your body starts to react younger and and you start moving differently. Um, I think that's the best way to put it. Well put. And you had, how did you feel after losing?
0: I have, it's been a struggle. So I've had ups and downs.
1: Okay.
0: I think it's been so long now that I forgot how much better I feel. Oh, okay. I definitely feel and look younger than my age. Yeah. And so it's definitely worth it. Wouldn't you say it's worth it?
1: Yeah, I I, I would. I mean, uh, I'm going to give people a little bit of a peek behind the curtain. When we started researching this episode, we just had it on our our document um, because it it was going to be interesting. uh, But it's also we had it listed because Todd and I both lost a little bit of weight um, but, but we got into the research, and this turned into such a, a much better message than we anticipated. So, And
0: I think it's what happens when you do have the big loss way. You get all these people cheering you on, and what the message is, keep going, go faster, go faster, you're losing a pound a day, and you think that's great. But losing a pound a month or two pounds a month is better than losing two pounds a day. I promise.
1: Absolutely. I'm is- really glad you said that. I forgot to mention the rate, but yeah. About two pounds a month is what you want to aim for.
0: And you'll get there and you'll stay there. It'll be worth it.
1: Yes. You, you won't have as drastic of a cal- uh, caloric offset as, as these biggest losers. Um, lose at a slow rate, as doctors recommend, and, and you'll be able to keep it off with environment control and, and awareness. So speaking of gaining the weight back, how much did did Matt and Susie gain back?
0: Susie gained back like 50 pounds, and Matt gained back a lot more. Um, They look very heavy. Not as big as they were, but still very, very heavy. Not like where they were when they won the show. Not even close. Okay. But their life seems great. They have two beautiful children together. They're still married. Most of these reality TV romances don't last more than six months.
1: So this is not the uh, uh, the Bachelorette or something. It's it's not just <laughs> no. they're done as soon as they're out. They actually they stuck together.
0: They got a loving working relationship with kids. They actually started their own diet plan and and they've had some monetary success. The system's called Body Evolution, and it's called believe it or not, how to lose weight and keep it off. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, that's good. I mean, they, they did keep off a significant amount of what they, they lost. They ballooned back up to to a portion of what they had. So that that's we'll, we'll, we'll take a partial success. If
0: we could do that in all of our life, we'll be
1: all right. Yeah, I, I think that's a very good message.
0: As a champion wrestler, Matt knew about weight loss. And if anyone had the willpower... And the monetary incentive to keep the weight off, it was Matt. So why is obesity, recidivism, such a problem? Well, it was we discovered today, it all comes down to resting metabolism. How drastically you lose the weight and how hard your body fights to get it back. If you're obese or just a little overweight, we don't want you to walk away today feeling hopeless. You can improve your life. You can improve your health. You can make lasting change, but you have to go into it knowing that drastic weight loss is a permanent change, one that will require you to have an understanding of your body, your hormones, and your environment at home. Shame does not work. Exercise alone does not work. Calorie counting and temporary dieting does not work. Consistent, thoughtful effort and realistic expectations seem to be the biggest factor between the obese 98% who gain it back and the 2% that defy the odds. In the end, our best bet might be to wait for science to develop a true healthy appetite suppressant. But until then, we at The Reengineered You believe you can make this mindful, healthy choice every day. You've been listening to the re-engineered you thank you so much for listening to the show you mean the world to us we have a new episode every week
1: you can connect with us at www.reengineeredyou.com that's re-engineeredyou.com where we have research links show notes and blog articles for every episode we also appreciate feedback and we love spirited debate
0: we're not experts at anything, but we've got an opinion on everything. And I think Joe's gonna read one of our five star iTunes reviews.
1: Yeah, I, I was gonna say, speaking of opinions <laughs> uh, this one comes from uh Joe Sports One. And just for the record, we like positive feedback, by the way. Oh no i i want to i want to get dragged so bring it no we, we do we we we're gonna read the five star reviews we will chuckle at the one star reviews but we're not gonna read them uh, so this one comes from uh, Joe Sports One uh, he says great podcast this is such a smart and well thought out podcast this is the type of show that can benefit so many people i highly recommend it uh, thank you Joe Sports One yeah
0: thank you Joe Sports One very cool we appreciate you
1: absolutely and if you'd like us to read your review give us five stars and if you want us to argue with you give us one star that'll be fun (laughs)